Our scripture passage is from the first letter of John chapter 4, and we're going to begin on verse 16. I saw this week something written about this particular passage of scripture that I've never seen written about another passage of scripture, and this is what the commentary said. It said, we do not interpret 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 interprets us. Scary, huh? Will you stand as we read together the scripture passage for today? God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So there is a shift that happens in the fourth chapter of 1 John that I didn't notice. And I don't think you would notice unless you were an English teacher. And I know we have at least one with us today. And here's the shift that happens. It happens in the verbs in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, the verbs go from past tense to present tense. So the writer of 1 John chapter 4 is writing about what God has done for us in Christ. And then there's the shift, and the writing then talks about the effect of a relationship with the Father, the effect that that relationship has on us now. So you'll probably recognize that in the passage we just read in a couple of lines. There's one verse that says, perfect love casts out fear. That happens now. And then there's another line of scripture in that passage that says, we love, we do it right now, we love because he first loved us. And I think one of the things that's interesting to me about those two verses in that passage of scripture is is that if you know any, if you recognize any of that passage of scripture, those are the two verses that you're going to know, right? Perfect love casts out fear, and we love because he first loved us. But I think it also serves as those verses serve as a test for us because they're in present tense. They serve as like a lens that we can hold up to our lives and see, hey, how are we doing on fear? How are we doing on love? Now, I can remember seven years ago arriving at the airport in Liberia and as I arrived at the airport in Liberia. I could see right next to the airport was the old airport in Liberia that was bombed out. And then as we left the airport in Liberia, there were armed guards carrying machine guns. I'd never seen that before. And so I was with a group of people in a van, and I sat in that van very quietly. Now, there was another pastor in that van with us. I'm going to refer to him as Super Pastor. I don't even remember seeing him on the plane. I think he flew over to Liberia by himself. 
He'd been there several times before, and so he looked at me with his emotional x-ray vision, and he said, Dinah, what's the matter? It was kind of like a schoolyard taunt, you know. And I said, hey, this is a little bit scary. And Super Pastor said, Dinah, don't you know that the safest place to be is in God's will? And I said, yeah, I'm just not convinced that my physical safety is as important to God as it is to me. See, there was no love lost between me and Super Pastor. When I hold that lens of first chapter, first John chapter 4 up to my life seven years ago and up to that, that particular moment in time, I see, hey, I wasn't doing very well in love. And I was afraid, too. So I wasn't doing very well on fear, either. It happens. And it happens not just seven years ago in my life, but it happened this very week at my home in my family. I held up the lens of First John chapter 4, and I didn't do so great on fear, and I didn't do so great on love. I'm just not freed up yet to tell you about those specific instances. You've got to give me a few years, and then maybe I can tell you those stories. But I want you to hear, the first thing I want you to hear is when we hold this lens up to our lives, none of us are going to be doing perfectly on love and fear, and that's okay. Because fear is a real emotion. But I believe there is a difference between feeling afraid and living afraid. There is a difference between acknowledging fear and residing in fear. I've seen the difference between noticing fear and putting fear in charge because fear wants to dictate our actions. Fear wants that. You know, an amazing thing about the passage of Scripture that we read about fear and love is that it exists at all. Because the community that John was writing to felt persecuted by the people who surrounded them. They felt the hatred that people had for them. And it's interesting to me that the author's advice, that John's advice is not, well, you should be afraid because they're out to get you. And it's not, you should hate them back. You need to get your revenge. But instead, it's to love and to not be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. I think there are two ends of a spectrum here, two choices where to live. One is fear and the other is love. Both want to be your dwelling place. One of the reasons that I think John, or a very good A-plus student of John the disciple, wrote this particular letter in the New Testament, is because he picks up on a central theme in the gospel, and that theme is abiding in God's love. Did you hear it in the passage this morning? Verse 16 started with those words, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Abide, abide, abide. Now, you will remember, I'm sure, the gospel passage where Jesus talks about abiding in God's love. Jesus has gathered the disciples for the Passover dinner. He washes their feet. He predicts their betrayal. He also tells them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he teaches using the metaphor of the vine and the branches of the vine. He says, my father is the vine grower and I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. 
In the English version of this particular teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples, this is in the 15th chapter of John's Gospel. In the first 10 verses of that chapter, the word abide appears 11 times. It's that important. Jesus wants his disciples to know about abiding in God's love, resting in God's love, living in the Father's love. That's the point that Jesus wants to teach his disciples, and then that's the point that his disciples want to pass on to the church. So one of my favorite illustrations from the book, The Good and Beautiful God, is of a comparison of the city dog and the country dog. Now, we at our house have a city dog. I don't know about you. But what I see is true about a city dog is that the city dog lives cooped up, right? In the house or in the yard. Now, what's true at my house is that the dog is in the yard when I'm at home, but this morning when I was away, I'm guessing the dog was in the house. (laughs) But the dog lives confined. The dog lives confined to a small territory. And so the dog has one aim in life, right? The city dog, to escape. As soon as the door opens or the gate opens, the dog is out of there. It happens at my house. I have to chase the dog down the street, corral the dog, drag the dog back to the house, close the front door, put the dog where it belongs. But the dog's just waiting for, that, for the yard guy to leave the gate open or for the front door to open so that the dog can go out. But the country dog is different. You know, the country dog lives in wide open spaces with freedom to roam. The country dog can go down to the creek. The country dog can wrestle with a skunk. The country dog can sleep in the pasture. He has freedom. And he's gotten into a few scrapes in his, time, in his time. He's seen the wide open spaces, the range for what it really is. But where's his favorite spot, the country dog? Where does the country dog like to be? The country dog likes to be on the master's front porch, right? That's where the country dog resides. That's where the country dog stays. That's where you find him. And this is, I believe, a picture of what it means to abide to abide in God's love, to find the master's porch in your life. Where is that place? Where is that place where you know God's love? Where's that favorite spot where you know God's presence? And that, I believe, is your place of fear repellent. And this is good fear repellent. The scripture passage says perfect love casts out fear, so it doesn't just repel the fear a little bit but it casts it out it throws it far away from you into the darkness where it belongs now i want to make sure that you hear this morning that freedom from fear is a process i don't want you to hear any condemnation in this message our scripture passage for today suggests that process as well that we reach freedom from fear By striving to live in perfect love, that perfect love that was in Christ. Now, none of us, I believe, would stand up here on this stage this morning and say that we've reached Christ-likeness. We're completely like Christ. But that is the goal that we've set for ourselves. That is what we're reaching toward. Verse 18 says, Whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Well, that's all of us. None of us 
have reached perfection in love. It's an overwhelming task, Christ's likeness. But what we know to be true in the world is that we set goals for ourselves so often that we have to step towards that are unattainable all at once. I think about my friend who just last week ran the marathon, 26.2 miles, right? Well, how did she do that? She didn't do that all at once, 26.2 miles and one giant leap. But no, she did it step by step, right? One step at a time. And I think about how Christmas sits before me in just over a month, right? Well, how am I going to get there? Well, I don't know about at your house, but at our house, we'll start listening to a little Christmas music this week. We'll gradually pull out the decorations. I'll buy a few presents. We'll do some baking. We'll honor family and friends and neighbors. We'll think on the nativity. We'll worship some, and we'll get there. We'll get to Christmas. It doesn't happen all at once, but it's a journey there. John Ortberg one time said, What would it be like if we were to put before you everything that you will eat between now and the day that you die? We'll just put it up in one big pile. You know, for me, it would be like all the yogurt, all the Chick-fil-A, all the spaghetti, all the Chipotle salads, all the fudge. Everything that I'm ever going to eat was to appear before me in one pile. And you said to me, go ahead, eat it all. That's not the way it works. The way it works in the physical world is we just eat things one meal at a time, one bite at a time. And that's the way that works in the spiritual realm as well. We take steps, step by step, we get there. And I think many of you could testify to this in your own lives, that you could see the progress where you have been freed from fears in your own life over the last several years, over the last several months. I can remember 20 years ago, I had a phobia of hospitals. And my grandmother asked me to meet her at the hospital in Bryan, Texas, after she had her cataract surgery. It was nothing, no big deal. And I would just drive her home after that day surgery. So I went to the hospital. I took the elevator up to the floor where she was waiting, in recovery, sitting, no big deal. The doctor came over, and he took the patch off of her eye so that I could see her eye. There was some blood there. (laughs) So then he put the patch back on her eye. We got into the elevator, and I started to faint. (laughs) And my grandmother took the keys out of my hand, and she said, You are no good. I'll drive myself. (laughs) It was before cell phones, so when we got off the elevator, I convinced my grandmother that we would call my cousin, and he would come and pick us up, that she didn't need to be driving after cataract surgery. But that's not the case about me today. I'm not afraid of hospitals anymore. I can walk into the very bowels of a hospital and not be afraid. But it didn't happen all at once. That's not my only story of fainting in a hospital. Catch me after the service and I'll tell you a couple of others. But now I can walk through those sliding glass doors and be fine. And I know that you can testify to places where God has freed you from fear as well in your own lives. This is the final week of our sermon series on sonship. And I think what we are considering today in this final sermon on sonship is what does this model for discipleship have to offer us? 
the ultimate, I think, that it has to offer us is that we can live freely, that we would live free of fear, and we would live free of those wicked stepsisters that are related to fear, guilt and worry. You see how I see that guilt and worry are related to fear? Is that guilt is fear that's focused on the past, and worry is fear that's focused on the future. We can live free of all those Things that are related to fear, of fear and fear's relatives. I have listened to a few of the teachings that Jack Frost did on sonship. And Jack Frost, he's no longer with us. He was a preacher um, in recent years. And he brought this idea of sonship, daughtership back to the church. He made it popular again. And one of the things I've noticed in his teachings is that how he addresses God. He addresses God in a very personal way. When Jack Frost talks about God, he just uses the name Father, just by itself. He doesn't say Father God. He doesn't say Eternal Father. He doesn't say Heavenly Father. He just says Father. And he says Father does and Father says, and this is what's true about Father's love. One of the things that James Bryan Smith says about knowing that God is trustworthy is that we need to deal with that metaphor as God, with God as Father. He says that we so often project onto God our own experience of having an earthly father or being an earthly parent. And so that we define God from our perspective instead of letting Jesus reverse that and show us how to define who God is, but Jesus defined fatherhood for us. And the clearest way to see Jesus' definition of fatherhood is in the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to show you six things real quick that are in the Lord's Prayer, um, just line by line. The first thing that we see about God in the Lord's Prayer is that God is present when we pray our Father in heaven. Because what the disciples knew about praying our Father in heaven is that the kingdom of heaven started now, immediately. It wasn't something that we were waiting for. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God is pure. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is powerful. Give us this day our daily bread. God provides. And forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. So God pardons. We don't have to worry about the past, that fear that exists in the past, but God forgives and pardons. And God also protects. We don't have to project fear into the future. Don't bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And I believe that when we know these things about God, that God is powerful, that God protects, that God provides, that it has the ability to alter, to transform our daily lives. A.W. Tozer, who was a 20th century pastor and writer, said this. He said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So that if I believe that God is demanding and out to punish me, then I am plagued by guilt and fear and worry. If I believe that God is aloof and impersonal, then all responsibility is put on me. 
and opportunities then become burdens. Fear can take hold. But if I can rest, if I can abide in that truth that God is powerful, that God provides, that God protects, that God is trustworthy, that God is interested in my well-being, that God securely holds the future, that God overcomes, if I can trust in the God that Jesus revealed, then I can have the courage to know God better and better, and then fear loses a grip on my life. The mother of Emmett Till in 1955 was asked if she harbored bitterness toward the white men who brutally murdered her son, and this is what she said. She said, it certainly would be unnatural not to hate them, yet I'd have to say I'm unnatural. The Lord gave me shield. I don't know how to describe it myself. I did not wish them dead. I did not wish them in jail. If I had to, I could take their four little children. They each had two, and I could raise those children as if they were my own. I could have loved them. I believe the Lord meant what he said, and I try to live according to the way that I've been taught. I think when we believe that Jesus meant what he said about who God is, and we rest and reside in that love, then we have the courage, we have the ability to at first take baby steps out of fear, and then to take medium steps, and then to take giant steps, and then to take giant leaps like Simon says, right? Except it's not Simon who says it. It's Jesus who said it. And I know you want to play, because everybody wins in this game. Will you pray with me? Father, we bless you and we praise you this day, because you want great freedom for everyone here. And so we rely on the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us, that the Holy Spirit will come to those places in our lives where fear resides, and that you will free us from that fear, from that worry, from that guilt. Lord, we know that you can grant us strength to step out even when we're afraid, to step out through fear and into courage, and that you will grow us closer and closer to you so that we will be more and more like Christ. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.